0: Are you looking to advance your technology, develop your skills, work with our network of experts, and get top-notch mentorship? Applications are open for the UCSF Rosamond Rise. Through Rise, we identify promising entrepreneurs from groups that are underrepresented in health tech, such as women, people of color, and LGBTQ plus individuals. And we connect them with any number of leaders from our UCSF network and beyond. To apply, please visit rosenmaninstitute.org slash programs slash RISE. Applications close on February 9th.
1: I, I think the first thing is just understanding the attention span, right? That, that em, employers are actually, you know, running a business and, and operating a business. And one of the things that they have to do as a part of that is, you know, provide health coverage. But there's you know, the main focus in most cases is is building the widget or whatever it is they do for a living, and so understanding that that you need to be able to articulate your value proposition in a really succinct way, and you really need to understand the needs of that that employer really intimately. There's a lot going on for employers; they're trying to succeed themselves as a business. So, uh, you know, I think just making sure that you understand that that your your opportunity to solve that problem is is a small window, and and make sure you're capable of executing
2: on that. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winoto.
0: Why are drug prescriptions so expensive? The answer is complicated and involves payers, providers, and patients. And even industry professionals sometimes have a hard time explaining it. Our guest today, Kyle Kaiser, is working towards making these expensive prescriptions a thing of the past. Kyle is the CEO and founder of RX Review, a real-time prescriptions benefit service. By allowing patients to have a say in their prescriptions, RX Review is aiming to make a good health more accessible to everyone. Today, he tells me how he got to where he is and how other entrepreneurs can do the same. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Carl. Thanks for joining me this morning.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really excited for our conversation. I thought it would be really great for our listeners uh, to hear your personal story, your journey, how you get to where you are today, um, what get you excited about healthcare and landed your job here at rxRB
1: sure yeah happy to yeah so my uh, a little bit on my background i I came up in the healthcare uh, world I was you know my my family's business was uh, employee benefits brokers so i you know spent a lot of my time in early days uh, in the industry and sort of working in my my dad's office and he was providing you know Consulting and providing services to employers that were trying to manage their healthcare costs. Uh, that's, so that's sort of where I've learned and, and cut my teeth came out of, uh, undergrad and worked for health plans and payers and, and in, in the employee benefits space and working directly with employers. Um, you know, as, as I had more experience inside the system, inside the industry, uh, it, you know, really started to become curious about, you know, what are employers options when faced with Increasing cost. And, um, and that really sort of inspired me to look outside of the health insurance world specifically and, and look for opportunities to, you know, lower cost. I think if, if as I thought about spending my life, uh, in that sort of broker and consulting space, you really only end up with two options, even, you know, and these are, you know, smart people, well meaning, uh, professionals want to solve problems for employers, but really the two options they have are, shift cost on to the individual or shift cost on to the employer right and because as costs grow and as fast as they are those are really kind of the two options that folks are loved with uh, so i you know became really curious about sort of what's driving those costs and 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 got interested in a few areas uh first area i worked in was uh corporate wellness sort of that transition from sick care to health care uh, just how to empower people to to live healthier lives so I, as a part of uh, what was principal financial group owned a company called principal wellness company. And that was focused on, um, you know, it was points based incentives and health risk assessments and building wellness strategies for large employers. So, uh, first experience sort of shifting into the innovation world was, was that. And, uh, there left, uh, left that job for an opportunity to be an early employee at a company called Well Talk. Um, and it was also. After that, we had the opportunity to help a company called Catapult Health launch and, and with Blue Cross, Illinois. Um, and, you know, all that was kind of focused on, uh, either sort of empowering folks with more in, information, content, knowledge to make healthier decisions or access to primary care. Um, and so those were sort of my first two interests and areas of focus and, and kind of the, the where I got the startup bug. <laughs> uh and then you know, joined Arch review very early on. you know, all that gave me the experience to say I'd like to do something earlier and, and found Arch Reviews who was who was working on this price transparency problem in, in medications. And that's uh that's ultimately how I ended up here and this that's been I'm in my eighth year at the company. So uh right. yeah, I've been working on this problem ever since.
0: Can you go back to your, you mentioned that you work for your father who were, I mean, your father was a broker. It's like, tell me more about that was, uh, when you were probably, you, you hear about the business as a kid and understanding, like, what is it? Like as a broker, what, what, you know, and what do you do when you were, you know, working for your dad when you are a young
1: age? Uh, uh, decidedly unglamorous things, uh, like, Stuffing enrollment packets with the materials that people need to understand their benefits is kind of the, the truth of it. Um, but it was, uh, and, and I think I, I remember specifically traveling with him to sort of deliver Christmas gifts to clients at, at the times I, I was often a part of that and enjoyed that. But, you know, brokers are, brokers are kind of the advocates for employers in this world. You know, we ask employers to take on healthcare coverage. That's part of the way our system works. Uh, but it's a really complex thing to figure out, right? The how to make good choices at a group level, and then how to tailor those choices to the needs of um, to the needs of uh, of those employees is is a really complex problem to solve. Uh, so brokers help employers do that. They they help them select healthcare coverage. They help them understand how to control costs where necessary. And they help them understand the best sort of options based on network and those sorts of things. So. Um, It was, you know, I got to observe all of those things.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, now looking back then and now, has that changed the role of the brokers?
1: Uh, The business of of brokers have changed quite a bit. I think it's gone from what was mostly commission based in selling products to more fee based, which is more kind of a consulting model. So, you know, and that's that's been a big change for that industry for sure. Mhm.
0: And uh so so your experience working with your dad in you know delivering Christmas gifts and the other thing what is the lesson learned from that work experience besides being exposed to in that industry?
1: Yeah, to me what that inspired was how do you actually start impacting cost um in in that not just sort of managing within the tools that exist, which is basically, you know, the cost is driven by the uh, the health of that population. And the, the tools that brokers and consultants have were sort of managing plan design uh, and being able to sort of manage costs within the framework that a health insurance option provides. Uh, what I became more interested in is is how do you manage the health of that population? What is it that's actually driving the cost in that health of the population? Uh, which led me down the corporate wellness route, and mm-hmm. um, you know, my I think my cost management uh, focus it kind of broke out into three main areas. I was really interested in the transition from sick care to healthcare, where you we have a system that is largely sick care based, and how do you help transition that into a healthcare based system where where folks feel empowered and capable of, of living healthier lives and, and having healthier behavior um, the other is access to primary care uh, it fo- it was a focus and an interest of mine is just you know that relationship with the provider I think is a really important and highly leveraged one um, and then ultimately uh, it was price you know this is this is a supply chain uh, like none other in the world where you make purchasing decisions or someone makes a purchasing decision on behalf of you without any knowledge of what that is, uh, you know, what the price is. And uh, that seems irrational in many ways. So, you know, those were sort of the three areas of focus that, that I had uh, in making that transition and sort of my, my experience seeing it in the real world where employers are trying to manage costs is what inspired that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that's when you've decided that you want to focus more on the wealth wellness side or the healthcare side rather than the sick care side Um, you have uh, many of your previous experience has been in sales before you take on this position as a CEO what is your experience The pain point that employers and employees have that help you drive your sales because you know you're selling something they really want right
1: yeah, sure. I mean, in our review, we don't work directly with employers very much, but... Right, um, right. I'm just you know, looking
0: at your, based on your your past experience when you're selling a lot of the wellness program.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, in the employer space, I, I think there's, there's a lot, uh, you know, ultimately these are payers, right? The employer is the the payer at the end of the day. So I think a lot of their priorities and needs are, are similar to that of health plans as, as, you know, the way a health plan would look at their fully insured book of business is the same way that employer would look at their employee base i think what's um a good thing about that position for an employer is that they are often they can take a longer view they often have employees for a number of years and want to make plans for a number of years whereas there's a lot of churn within the health plan world so you know i found that employers were you know are great advocates for health for their employees because they have the the ability to think about those things in a longer time frame than mm-hmm. than you can likely as a health plan. So, um, you know, I think their needs were really how do you how do you empower that uh, population to make healthier choices and how to understand mm-hmm. them first, and then create the right types of incentives to to reward behaviors that are beneficial to their health.
0: Do you think? I mean, you know, in, I feel like now in i feel like long long time ago people can stay with the same employer much longer now people move jobs between job and so you mentioned that the health plan side they tend to think more in the short term because the members can be there only for a shorter term but do you think the employers are moving that direction as well
1: um it probably depends on the time frame i mean i think you're you're absolutely right it's the Folks are staying at jobs long or shorter periods of time than they did years ago. That's that's absolutely true. Um, But you know, even even still, I think the tenure of an employee is still quite a bit longer than than the uh, retention of a member for a health
0: plan. Yeah. So, so, um, I mean, many of our entrepreneurs definitely are interested in um, uh, providing their services to the employers and being. In the sales uh, side of thing, what are the key things that these entrepreneurs need to focus on when they work with employers trying to get their technology implemented or acquired or purchased for by the employers for their employee?
1: I, I think the first thing is just understanding the attention span, right? That that em- employers are actually, you know. Running a business and and operating a business, and one of the things that they have to do as a part of that is, uh, you know, provide health coverage. But there's, you know, the main focus in most cases is is building the widget or whatever it is they do for a living. And so, understanding that that you need to be able to articulate your value proposition in a really succinct way, and you really need to understand the needs of that um, that employer really intimately, um, because they're trying to solve a specific problem. So understanding that specific problem and being able to do that in a really uh, quick way seems really important to me because there's a lot going on for employers. They're trying to succeed themselves as a business. So, uh, you know, I think just making sure that you understand that, that your your opportunity to solve that problem is, is a small window and, and make sure you're capable of executing on that.
0: But at the same time, there's they are probably inundated with so many different companies trying to sell them for the saying probably It's probably saying the same thing. I'm going to try to solve this particular problem. How do you stand out? Is that relationship that you have or how, how do they, how can they stand out?
1: It is more often than not relationships. So I, you know, understanding exactly who those employers are relying on to make those decisions is, mm-hmm. is absolutely important. But again, we don't, we don't particularly sell to employers.
0: I know, I know. I'm just They're like talking, I'm different. just because uh, yeah. you know, you have that experience. That's why I'm asking you that sure. question. Yeah, no,
1: sure. um,
0: so, so, uh, so moving away from yours, you know, I, I'm just always curious when I talk to a salesperson, like how do you sell? Because that's, at the end of the day, people want to know. Uh, so that's why I'm asking you all this question.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Brown-Bretnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com.
0: And so, moving forward, maybe you can start with telling us about what is our View Review and uh, what you're trying to solve, and how you solve it.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, RX Review is a data network at its core. So we've built we've built the ability to provide real time, patient specific, and moment in time specific pricing in the workflows of providers as they're making those care decisions. So in the cases of a prescription, we, we integrate directly into the electronic health records that those providers use into the native e-prescribing workflows. And we are the data network that powers a price transparency feature in that EMR. So uh, the way that actually works is provider would, you know, diagnose a patient with a particular condition. They would um, decide on the medication to treat that condition, they'd select that, place it into a pending status. At that point we evaluate that decision. Um we send the transaction out to their the associated payer or PBM uh, that that patient is affiliated with. We get back a price, we get back any details around the formulary that are relevant and we get back alternatives that might be lower cost options for that patient uh, or provider to consider. Those those options come in two forms, it's either a different medication or a different pharmacy. Uh, but generally, ways to save on that particular decision. So we are. Uh, our goal um, is to, you know, help providers consider those things before making a prescribing decision. Uh, it's to to get that decision right the first time. Um, ultimately, these are things that that the system is often relied on pharmacists for. You know, providers just send in orders to the pharmacy. The pharmacist would have to figure this out at the point of sale. Consequences of that are though that the patient will have arrived and. Got, you know, the claim has been denied, it requires a prior off, it's something can't, the patient can't afford, we can avoid all of that by making that decision upstream in workflow with the provider.
0: So basically, when the doctor's prescribing a prescription to the patient, like it's like, oh, and then, so they got all this information, right, in the real time when the patient's still in their clinic with them. And then the doctor will get option A or option B or whatever option it is. And then they can make the decision based on the price because every patient wants to have a lower price. Um, and based okay. on that, that is the the medication that is going to be prescribed. So do you think, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've heard all these stories about uh, the ph- pharmacy sales. They hang out in the hospital a lot. And then people just remember the doctor remembers like, Oh yeah, that guy, you know, now I'm you know, in the time for me to prescribe that medication for this particular patient because, you know, there's so many drugs out there and it's sometimes, you know, it is easy to remember when that person is right there. Do you think that your technology will eliminate that aspect?
1: Um, possibly it does, does feel like, um, systems generally are not quite as welcoming to pharma uh, reps as they once were. Um, our, our experience is more that the decision making of providers around drugs is largely influenced by their training and by what they can spell truly. <laughs> it's, it's remembering, you know, if you think about the, the options that are, uh, available for any prescribing choice, there's a, a ton of options. They're all really complex words. And, and frankly, there's no spell check in the EMR. And for a bunch of regulatory reasons, there can't be spell check in the EMR. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of times, the you know the the dozen or so medications that are often prescribed in a particular clinic day is just based on the memory of the provider and and what they feel comfortable typing into the EMR. So part of what we can provide is is you know those default choices are may be the right decision, but um, but the complexity exists in that each formulary for each patient may have different preferences for whatever reason their health plan or their PBM or their employer. Mm-hmm. may have uh, preferred brand a over brand b and they wow. may be therapeutically equivalent that's just not something that a provider would ever have visibility right. into and if, and if you think about uh you know if you see 30 patients in a day and you know there's probably a half a dozen to ten uh, different insurers and each of those insurers may be affiliated with a different plan design it's that the the options mm-hmm. balloon really quickly and it's just yes. not something that it, we could ask any provider to possibly understand, right? So all we do is is connect that decision-making moment with the appropriate data from that health plan to say, you were considering drug A, drug B may be a better choice based on what we know about this patient's insurance, or here's a pharmacy option that's quite a bit less expensive than, uh, than, than what the patient's preferences may be for that pharmacy. It's just making those suggestions along the way so that it can redirect the decision at the moment that's most impactful. Mm-hmm.
0: Help us understand about, like, so who is paying for your platform or your technology? And um, I mean, I can see the the benefit for the patients and then the employer, uh, but what sure. is the benefit for sure. the provider?
1: We, we predominantly work with health plans and PBMs as the economic buyer. They, uh, you know, and largely what we're doing is is connecting the preferences of the plan design and the formulary to that decision-making process. So the beneficiary there is the risk-bearing entity, which they represent you know, or are in many cases. So paid for by there and PBM predominantly. We are also um, providing some decision support around fulfillment options that are where the health system is a good choice uh, for that fulfillment option if they're in network and they're priced competitively. We provide some of those uh, options as well. In those cases, the provider system pays us to, to perform that evaluation. Um, but in general, those are the those are the two main models.
0: So you're like, the I can see the payer side, but like, can can you tell us a bit more, like the provider side, why that is an incentive for them to have your technology?
1: Uh, just as a way to bring awareness to the in-house pharmacy options um, that exist out there for health systems, and you know, what's interesting is most the. The technology build happened during COVID is that we were we were having providers uh, ask us, provider customers ask us that you know, we've got patients coming into the clinic. We want to, where possible, orient them to the closest thing on campus, uh, make sure that they can sort of only in one visit get care and get the medications that they need and make sure it's priced competitively and then network. So we built some intelligence into the tool to do that. Um as a as a part of that moment in time, that ended up being valuable to health systems in in driving awareness of in house pharmacy options. Um, and you know the, the challenge with it, right, is we need to make sure we're always doing this in a way that's cost competitive, uh, both for the patient and the health plan, and uh, and that's in network because we you know you don't want to direct someone to an in house pharmacy that's not an in network option. So uh, in in those cases, because we're you know, the beneficiary, there is the health system. The the business model is aligned to the health system.
0: So for the provider, this is an incentive to drive the patients to stay within their system and to get their prescription within their farm, ph- their own pharmacy. That's right. Okay. In, in the past, is this something that... I mean, I, I'm a Kaiser member. So for me, it's like whenever I see a doctor... The pharmacy is right there. And I, I assume if you go to, say, other non-capitated non you know, plants and you can go to Walgreens. So now the patient can just go to their in-house pharmacy right. with the knowledge saying that the price that I will get going into the in-house, that I don't have to go outside to Walgreens, that it will be as cost-effective as me getting it in Walgreens. Is that what you're saying? True. Because of the, pro- the platform, the technology that you have. Correct. Okay. Okay. Well, that's really, that's cool. Um. So one of the thing is that how, you know, it's great that everybody wants to use their technology. How is that all making, you know, the Walgreens of the folks is like, oh, this is kind of sucks. Everybody's now going to stay in the in-house uh, pharmacy rather than come to, to me. And how are they competing?
1: Um. Just sort of how how do we resolve the conflicts that may exist there? Yeah, I um, I don't necessarily think of us as having to resolve those. Honestly, those those debates are happening in the formation of the network. Um, So the health plan and the PBM are forming a network that they feel is competitive and cost competitive and and delivering appropriate care. Uh, The complexity exists in that the visibility to that network is that it's somewhere sitting on a member portal um, that or a provider portal that are engaged with uh, relatively infrequently, right? So what we're trying to do is just bring that information that already exists, that's already in place, that are, that the patient and the provider are already in some ways being held accountable to. Uh, and we're bringing it into the point of decision so that we can drive that choice the first time. So it's really just trying to align decision-making with the plan designs and the network designs that are already in place.
0: And so I, you mentioned also earlier about having your technology that the provider can see the different prices. And so the price transparency, I guess, that is something oftentimes, you know, when you read on the news, like this medication costs X amount, which is crazy. Uh, And then you have different insurance, they have a different um, agreement to have for the same drug will cost different thing. So how is that going to impact uh, as a consumer?
1: Well, it depends all on the plan design, right? And I think the need behind what we're doing is largely driven by the fact that patients are now responsible for far more of the cost than they ever were before, right? You uh, may or may not experience this as a part of the Kaiser system, but, um, you know, consumer-driven health plans here and deductibles are thousands of dollars and and the patients are responsible for everything until you reach that deductible in most cases, right? So Mm -hmm. where the, you know, prices that, Frankly, patients were never intended to pay like the in-network negotiated rate. Uh, you know, largely those numbers were to sort of calculate an appropriate placement in a formulary and a copay to be assigned. But now patients are actually paying those those amounts. Um, so to your point, there are you know there are all those examples where you know medication that isn't preferred on the formulary and is within the deductible is hundreds or thousands of dollars out of pocket for a patient, where there might be an alternative that's literally zero dollars and it's just about helping the provider and the patient understand the differences uh, and those differences might be you know a delivery method right like it might be that one type of inhaler is preferred over a different type of inhaler and the non-preferred version is hundreds of dollars per month and the preferred version is free or four bucks mm-hmm. because that's the way they designed the plan design. And and it's really just about connecting that information with the moment of decision. That's where you know it's simple, low-hanging fruit to be able to say, "Hey, provider, uh, it, it is unreasonable of us to have expected you to know that difference." Mm-hmm. So here's a piece of technology that helps guide that decision. And I, and I think that underscores the need, right? Is that these are these are the plan designs that are uh, predominant now, right? We're we're asking patients to pay first dollar in in many many cases. And so these types of tools are just a, a, a part of the standard of care now. We're going to have to ask providers to consider costs. We're going to have to ask providers to have access to these tools mm-hmm. so that they can make those types of decisions.
0: And I assume when one provider found out their competitors are using your tools, they probably want to have your tools.
1: I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the right thing to do for the patient, right? Is mm-hmm. that we... We find a seamless way to integrate these things into clinical decision-making in a way that's not overburdening providers, but is adding value to the patient encounter. Because ultimately, it's the patient and provider relationship and that encounter that is, uh, can have the most impact on better decision-making, right? Is that patients seek out these interactions with their providers. They, they have questions even about plan design. They want to go to the provider and ask that question. And so we should be able to empower that. Uh, that trust in that moment with the right decisions. Uh, that's that's sort of my contention, and mm-hmm. um, I think the, the the data and the patients' behavior uh, support that. Right, like the people seek out conversations with their providers. They tolerate conversations with their health plan. Um, I don't think any of us have woken up in the morning and said, "How can I got to really hope I talked to the health plan today about something in customer service?" You know, it's like. Yeah, you want to call your provider and say, "Hey, you pick drug A and drug B seems to be cheaper. Is that are these equivalent? Are these helpful? That's where the trust exists, and that's what we think can be most beneficial."
0: And I always, you know, as a consumer, we we like to have that information on hand. You can just go to Google and you you check out. You know, you want to buy, I don't know, a pair of shoes. You can go to Zappos, you can go to Amazon, you can do like a price comparison. And this tool that you have that you provide to the provider, I wonder how much the patient wants to have that tool as well.
1: Absolutely. We, we agree. And we have that ambition. Uh, January 1st, CMS will require that these types of tools are supported by Part D plans. So Medicare will, will be requiring this type of shoppable environment um, as of January 1st. Uh, that's that's part of our roadmap. we want we want patients to have choice and have the ability to to make these decisions for
0: themselves. And what would be the business model for that to provide that tool for the patients?
1: Uh, I think it's it's to be determined. I think step one is get get the tool used and utilized and and we will uh, we will see how it's adding value.
0: Can you tell us more about the where you say saying Medicare, the plan B is requiring this tool to be available? What is that like and how is that going to change the landscape? of
1: the Yeah, industry? so um, uh, backing up a couple of years ago or maybe a year and a half ago, um, the first requirement from CMS was that what, what we do is a real-time benefit check. So a real-time benefit tool uh, was required a year and a half ago uh, for Medicare Part D plans. So a Part D plan needs to be able to support this type of data exchange that, that we achieve at the point of care. So uh, that was step one. Step two is coming January 1st, where the same type of tool, the same type of data exchange uh, must be supported for patients.
0: Okay. And so if you're a Medicare patient, you have that access to that
1: database. That's right. If you're a Part D patient, yeah, Medicare Part D, uh, patient without patient prescription drug coverage under Medicare.
0: And you can tell your doctors, like, hey, doc, I right. think this one is better for me and it's cheaper <laughs> for me. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: can you imagine that? The doctor would be like, what? There's not <laughs> doctor Google. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I'd, I wonder if that, that'd that be welcome, honestly, because right now they're, patients are asking the same questions, but without the information. So, mm-hmm. if, you know, if a patient showed up with a med list that said, hey, this is a, you know, ultimately these medications are hundreds of dollars a month for me. And as a result, I'm not taking them right like okay. I, I think their clinicians would love that conversation because there are probably opportunities to switch some of those things to lower cost options cuz the only medication that works is the one the patient can afford and yeah. and i think being able to empower that decision is a good thing
0: yeah so i know we're running out of time but i want to ask you one last question after hanging out with your dad you know thinking about all this stuff and now you're running a company what is your lesson learned i mean did, did you still carry some of the things that your dad tell you The certain wisdom that he taught you that you still carry that you apply to what you're doing now and and what are they if there is
1: yeah i mean i think um there are many some of the more vivid ones are or i guess i'd put them in categories um resilience I, i remember hearing often that if it was easy everybody would do it right so there's the you know, the resilience aspect. And I think that's been a really important part of how we've succeeded. Our team represents that in a really important way. Um, I, th- I think there's an aspect of empathy and really having genuine and authentic care for the people we serve and the mission that we serve. And, um, that's absolutely something I learned from him and, uh, and hope to replicate and ultimately trust in relationships is that at the end of the day, that is what makes the world go around. is building authentic relationships and building trust with those folks and working together to solve problems together is how we make progress. And that's how we've made progress in this business. So those are kind of the three that pop into mind for me.
0: Right. Well, thank you for sharing with us your story. And what did your dad say about your work now?
1: Oh, he's, he's happy to see it grow. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, something that's as someone who's seen the industry for a long time and seen it evolve, this is a welcome, a welcome technology.
0: That's great. Well, thank you.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Netto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.